Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 280. I'm your host, Mike, Rabid Mike, and with me as always... <clears throat> uh, still trapped in the land of Vildais, uh, David Brownie, Fan Monaster. And your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Monogatari, back again. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you. We are back from a week off. Oops. Yep. Hope someone missed us. I don't think we missed us. <laughs> I missed recording the show, actually. <laughs> there was well, something you wanted to yell about and couldn't. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I almost forgot. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, I was yelling about it a lot on Twitter. Cause the internet cool that you were. The internet lost its goddamn mind. <sighs> this happens fairly frequently. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's just not usually about the niche game, nicher games I play. Huh. Yeah. Uh, good old Bayonetta. Okay. Well, Leo's just tuckered himself out about the subject. So yes. I, I just wanted to throw out there that, yes, be careful on Twitter out there because people are rapidly discussing the ending without nope, any spoiler warnings. I saw people like having discussions about that, and we're not even going to touch that shit. Yeah. So just I'm just saying, be careful out there, people. Okay, continue on. I have yelled about this too much. That, I haven't even heard that particular bit about it. I just yeah. hearing the... There's going to be a fight. There's always a fight. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what happened is that uh, shortly before I left for my vacation... Uh, the timing of this is insane. <laughs> the uh, the voice actress for Bayonetta, who was in uh, Bayonetta 1 and 2 and Smash, uh, Helena Tyler? Sound like the Taylor? Taylor. Helena Taylor, I think. Yeah. Uh, posted a ser series of short videos. Uh where she uh, proclaimed that, uh, contrary to the claim that Platinum had previously made, that she had uh, declined to voice the character for scheduling reasons, that she had uh, chosen not to voice the character in Bayonetta 3 for, uh, because she felt that she was being underpaid, and that the final offer they had given her was uh, $4,000 uh, to uh, voice in the game. Uh, this, of course, outraged people for a multitude of reasons. Uh, the the exact numbers of how much, like, the, the most useful thing to have come out of this entire controversy is, of course, the are the like people having to come to grips with the fact that uh, game voice actors are not well paid, yes. um, and they don't get <laughs> like uh, residuals. Yeah, that needs to like the next time there's a union contract, that needs to be non-negotiable. Uh, but as of right now, the current union rate is, I believe, like nine hundred dollars an hour, something like that. It's uh, but basically, uh, you know, the so that that comes out and it's like four thousand dollars to be the lead character in a game made by a major publisher is, you know, not not a great number. So there's an immediate backlash. Uh, it does not help that at the end of the last video, she says that she hopes that people will boycott the game and uh, send any money they would have spent on it to 
uh, charities of some sort. I can't remember if she named a specific one or just said to charity. Just to charity. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that so that immediately caused a huge dust up for fairly obvious reasons. Uh, shortly after, as uh, journalists like uh, Jason Schreier uh, started looking into the uh, matter, uh, it became clear that like the 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 offers that the offer and counter offer was more complicated than had been portrayed in this video. Uh, allegedly, uh, the numbers that people seem to that even uh, Taylor herself eventually uh, said were true uh, that had been offered was the final offer that they had given <clears throat> was uh, fifteen thousand dollars plus uh, any potential bonuses. Uh, for, I believe, four voice sessions of four hours. Uh, so, you know, a, a vastly larger sum, obviously. Still, like, a debatably debatable about, like, whether it's fair compensation, but, like, essentially any story that starts with you giving a false impression of uh, what the uh, amount that you're being compensated is... Uh, and then, like having to recant, it it she didn't a really, lot of sympathy goes out the window. Yeah, she didn't really recant either. She kind of said, "No, that's not true." But and then yeah, she was... she said, "No, that's not true." And then eventually said, "Okay, yes, that is true." Yeah, not... she did eventually corroborate the, the numbers that Trier and others uh, yeah. were able to uh, corroborate, but not a great uh, look. <laughs> yeah, like it, it wasn't a great look. It was not like. Because there is, like, an argument, to, there, there's a lot of arguments to be made that, like, you know, residuals should be on the table. Like, you should be getting a higher number to begin with, like, that sort of thing. Bearing in mind that Bayonetta is also kind of a bad target to start with, because as much as people really like those games, they don't sell very well. They don't sell uh, very well, and we're also talking about a developer that, prior to Near Automata, was, like, near death. <laughs> Yeah, like, in that case, it would come down more to, like, Nintendo granting them a higher budget, but, like, then you also come into the fact that there's a ton of people that are being underpaid in this entire process, so it's kind of ugly. It's ugliness all the way down. I actually Uh, have more to say on this now that I think about it, but go on. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we finish counting the entire story. So basically, that that story comes out, but not before people have uh, gotten into a... Uh, Twitter mob to attack uh, her replacement, Jennifer Hale. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of just horrible uh, attacks on her over the weekend while this was allowed to play out, uh, calling her a scab. Uh, bearing in mind that Bayonetta three, like like many though not all Nintendo games, and Nintendo usually goes union with their acting so bayonetta 3 was a union production uh this was not a case of like uh, of literal stabbing uh as the term should properly be used but uh yeah so like after that of course uh the internet having uh no sense of restraint or nuance like there's just a uh, maelstrom of people screaming at each other over this isn't this isn't uh, like the offer given wasn't fair or like it was wrong to lie and like or like we should attack the uh we should attack Helena taylor yeah like the internet did what it does and started screaming at each other yeah 
but yeah, as of now, uh, yeah, it's it's just ugliness all the way down. Yeah, uh, it was it's not a fun time. No. And um, yeah, so I mean, I had. I think it's hard not to have the reaction watching the first of the video she posted. Like, oh, you know, Bayonetta's voice actor is talking about how she was horribly underpaid. But then watching some of the other videos, I just kind of got a bad feeling about the whole thing. It's like she's, she has this whole appeal about if you care about people, you should boycott this game. And it's like... Yeah, but your fellow actors are working on this game. There's hundreds of developers and animators who've worked on this game for years. This seems like a gross response to this. The the other issue you run into, and the other like problem that comes with any like, oh, vote with your dollar, don't just don't buy it. And it's like there there are things that I would say, yeah, boycott this because it like the money materially helps things that I don't want to help, but. In this case, you run into, if you don't buy, like, Bayonetta 3 because of your opinions about, like, how they treated Helena Taylor as an actress, you're going to run into the issue of there's so many other things that communicate, and the most salient to any company is, I guess, people just don't care about this kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're, this is also a developer that just had an a massive bomb in so Babylon, massive bomb, yeah, Babylon Fall, because a live service game. So I'm sure they've had to let people go for that. So it's just like, yeah, that was supposed to run for a long time, and that's now being yeah. shut down in February. Okay, I swear there was another massive bomb recently for them. Maybe I'm just thinking of something that looks like the bomb. Sorry, excuse me. Um... Oh yeah, uh, poor Wonderful 101 remaster didn't do well there. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think their last thing that like could be counted as like probably having done better than anyone expected was Astral Chain. Yeah. So, so like yeah, I I feel like what's going to be lost in all of this, and I hope hopefully it doesn't is voice actors are underpaid. They need to be paid more or at least get residuals because yeah, although. You know, time-wise speaking, their part in a lot of games may be smaller. Um, I think we could point to hundreds of games that would not be the same. Had... It would be materially worse if they did not have. Right. And especially, like, you know, her part in this whole situation is gross. But yeah, she should have gotten... Helena should have gotten residuals of some kind for being the voice of Bayonetta because... You know, I know she has yeah. actresses in other languages, but at least for the English-speaking world, that is the voice of Bayonetta, and yeah. It's, it's one of those things, like, it, it It should not have ever been, like, a question up for debate, and, like, that needs to, like, if it's not part of the union contract, like, no company is ever just going to offer it. Yeah. Oh, Fireminer's getting a bunch of stuff in chat. He says, oh, I should be Rele relevant to this, do people blame Platinum or do they blame Square Enix for Babylon's Fall? I think you have to put that on Square Enix. Because I, I, I think tasking a developer like Platinum for an online game, which is not something they really have done, is seems bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, what, what I would argue is that uh, this is, in terms of Babylon's fall being bad, I think that's a, a little bit of a combo here because, like, Platinum, like, higher ups have indicated that they do want to be in live surface games. Like, this yeah. was not something that was necessarily foisted upon them. But this was also their first live service game, and it's clear that it ran into some bumps along the way, which is why it ended up having just random FF14 items in it. <laughs> like, not just as references, but as, like, uh, well, here's a bunch of assets you can use. It's <laughs> weird. Uh, let's see. Some other quick ones. Uh, let's hit some of these, because there's a bunch of these. Uh... Can we talk about what is dispensable and what is indispensable when it comes to remaking games? In other words, can Capcom even remake RE5 and 6 when the very nature of these games is saying RE fans lambasted? I don't think they care about RE fans, I think they care about people who play games. Uh, and certainly there are plenty of RE fans that despise 5 and 6, but also both of those... Like, RE5 sold over 10 million copies. It's, uh... It, I, but I think the, the bigger issue is just that, like, that's not where they're taking the Resident Evil franchise at this stage. So if they remade them, they would probably have to radically remake them, which is why I don't super see it happening. Mm. When RE5 and 6 were made, it was like, well, we're moving big into co-op shooters because that's what's popular. And uh, that's no longer the zeitgeist they're chasing with Resident Evil, so I don't think you're ever going to see it. Uh, but, you know, like, you can you can make disloyal remakes. I think disloyal remakes are actually a very interesting thing to do. The remake can, in many ways, be a commentary on the original uh, production, but I don't think Resident Evil is really in that business. Uh, must Silent Hill 2 remake be jank to be Silent Hill? No, but uh, I don't trust <laughs> Libertine. Oh, boy. RE6 sold well too, so if Capcom didn't care about fans, why did they try so hard with RE7? Uh, because it was on a diminishing uh, slope. It sold worse than RE5, so they were moving into a different direction. I'm sure creatively too, they won. They were probably people that wanted to move in a different direction. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's, of I mean, there's always the push pull of how much. And how much is it horror? And seven is them moving into we'll do horror. Like if RE6 had been more like critically successful, I'm sure that they would have been less concerned about it. But you know, that's one of those things where like to, to say that their highest concern is like the fandom is, I think, incorrect. It was the perception that RE6. Uh, gained among the broader uh, public as being not as good as prior games that caused them to uh, like step back and rethink. Put simply, I think that the people who consider themselves hardcore fans of the games tend to overestimate their own importance and how companies are doing with their IPs. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, but yeah, must Silent Hill to remake be James Peace on Hill. Yeah, no, I don't think that that's the the issue that people are running into when they show a distrust for uh, the remake. It's more just that uh, Looper Team has kind of a bad reputation after years of making games that are technically proficient, but uh, thematically... I was going to say thematically hollow, but they would be better if they were thematically hollow. <laughs> 
thematically repugnant. <laughs> also, Sparks of Hope good. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a... Let's see. Yeah, Let's okay. talk about some when we get to what, what we've been playing. Uh, problems between partners and busters and headphones structure. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what have we been playing since we, we kind of skipped into? Uh, well, I, I guess on, well, talk about Sparks Hope in a second, but kind of on topic, I have been playing and finished Bayonetta 2. Uh, and kind of tragically, I looked, went back to my Wii U save and realized, oh, I was in chapter 13 of 16. <laughs> That's kind of sad. I finished uh, out my last, uh, my Switch save at Bayonetta 1 and started a Bayonetta 2 playthrough. Nice. But yeah, that game is a masterpiece and really made me more angry about this whole situation because we've had a week of Bayonetta 3 talk and none of it's been about the gameplay or the animation or anything like that and just apparently play... the whole controversy did cause an uptick in pre-orders so. that's good i guess but yeah it's it's like this is a master class in action games and it came out what eight years ago initially 2014 yeah, yeah like ago. comparing that to <laughs> yeah granted my brief time in near automata so far but it's like Oh, I fought some stupid giant robots and, you know, near Automata. That's kind of fun. And play Bayonetta, and I'm just like, I'm fighting a, a Lumen Sage, which is kind of the opposite of the witches, on, like, a moving platform as two giant monsters are fighting in the background behind us, and this is all also running at a yeah, silky smooth frame rate, that. and it's just like, what the fuck? How is this an eight-year-old game? This is nuts. It is. Uh, they made the hardware thing. It is so so impressive. I, I I can't say enough nice things about the game. And you know the story is whatever. It's crazy nonsense action. It's, it's very hard to parse, even if you understand it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's intentionally nonsense action. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very. Uh, how to describe it. Uh, uh, yes. it's, it's all vibes and flash. Yes. And, and on that note, uh, without going into anything about the current Twitter discourse, I think people take the story maybe too seriously, apparently. Uh, and I'll leave it people, at that. People have strong opinions about Bandla. Yes. People always have had strong opinions about Bandla. <laughs> I'm going to say... So yeah, Bayonetta 2, I've also been playing yes. that. And Nier Automata, I've also been playing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Mario Rabbit Sparks of Hope, I've started playing, which is a game I almost forgot about, and I think I sent you a message just like, I have finally had my backlog figured out, and then realized that Mar Mar <laughs> the new Mario Rabbits comes out in like a week. <laughs> I thought I was the one that reminded you that it came uh, You might have been, and it's just like, fuck. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's incredibly delightful and i honestly didn't watch a lot of previews of it because it's just like yeah i love the first one i'm ready for whatever they're going to do with it next you know that it's was it clear like the fair improvement on the first one oh it's, it's already a very good game yeah it's an excellent improvement in like world design basic structure how the battle system works it's got a lot of love to mario galaxy which is great <laughs> Very cute. Yeah. Doing hiding behind the 
hidden behind cover. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's if you like the first one, this is um, it's just way way better. It just it, it's it, it seems very good, and uh, lots of people have played more of, more of it than me. Seem very smitten with the game. So people seem to like it the more they like it even more the more they play. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's made a lot of smart additions to how the combat plays. Like, it's easier to figure out how to move your characters around. There's more movement options. There's... It's no longer grid-based, which is a pass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> each of the characters have more unique weapons. Like, uh, some of them... Rabbits are... can talk now, which is terrifying. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it gives kind of more personality to, like, Rabbit Mario, Rabbit Peach, and all of them. It's, it's a lot of fun. And... Um, I, I can't recommend it enough, if, especially even if you like the idea of the first one but didn't necessarily love the game. I would say try it. If and if you like the first one, obviously like, you should. Yeah. You should do that. You should pick it up. An even better strategy game. Yeah. Uh, Allegedly, at one point there were plans to be not just Sparks of Hope, but uh, other like Nintendo franchise or like franchise plus Rabbids games, not necessarily all Nintendo, but interesting. That was also on the table. It'd be uh, interesting to see about everything. But yeah, I hope um yeah this I'm game still not sure how Rabbids and Mario happened. Uh there was a lot of negotiations yeah. over the course of many years. And it's funny yes. it's funny just how well it works. It just works. <laughs> like I it's. I remember when the, the, there were first rumors of it. It was just like, that sounds like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Especially when people were saying there were like the, the rumors were hard to take seriously because it was both that it was a Mario and Rabbids crossover and that it was an XCOM style. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> ridiculous. But then when they did the first reveal, it's like, oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> I don't understand. In, in its own very weird way. Yeah, it it just works. And I, I don't know how. One thing I will say uh, for anyone who has a, an appreciation for quirky Wii games, uh, the, the Wii Rabbids platformer, Rabbids Go Home, is actually uh, tremendously underrated. Yeah, I saw you check that out at some point. That was like, if you combine Katamari and a platformer, uh, it was a game where the rabbits uh, realize that they don't know where their home is, and one of them looks up at the moon and determines that that must be it. <laughs> so they go out in a shopping cart and try to build enough tra a pile of trash high enough to reach the moon. It's very cute. Yeah, they don't, the rabbits are cool. Um, People hate on them too much. They hate on them, and yeah. They're less annoying than the Minions people. They're <laughs> much cooler than the Minions. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and other than that, just plug, trying to get through the end of Legends of Heroes. I don't have anything else to say about that. It's, uh... See, I've made some headway into uh, Trails from Zero. That's still a very good game. You don't need my. You don't need me to tell you more about it than that. Uh, it's a it's a lovely port, uh, and I am now in uh, the danger zone because uh, trails. Uh, the the release schedule for the next few trails games has been uh, made clear, and Trails to Azure, the second half of the Crossbow duology, is due out in. 
uh, March, and then the game that is an epilogue to both the Crossbow games and the Cold Steel games, uh, Trails and Forever, aka Hachimari no Kiseki, is uh, due out next summer, which means that I have to get Trails from Zero done for March. That won't be that won't be difficult. Then have to somehow between March and whenever in summer Trails into Reverie comes out, play all four Cold Steel games. Oh boy. So I might die. <laughs> but, you know, Hi. what you gonna do? Uh, but yeah, the game uh, Trails from Zero is really good. It's a really good port. Uh, and I've been, I've just, you know, just got a very charming party. Like, it's the thing about Trails from Zero is that it's a lot like Trails in the Sky first chapter in a lot of ways, where it's, like it's clearly building things up that it's going to then knock down with uh, Trails to Azure. So I'm just sort of taking in Crossbell, enjoying it, which will probably make it uh, much more uh, gut-wrenching when War overtakes it, as seems to be indicated by uh, future games that I have already played a little bit of. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, very... Very much enjoying that, and uh, some characters from Trails in the Sky just made their appearance uh, early on into Trails from Zero, and it's very it's fun to see them again. I love seeing them. They're a little older and they're a little wiser, and it's uh, it's very charming. But yeah, so uh, you know, I'm elbow deep into that. Uh, Uh, one second, let's um, But yeah, uh, Trails from Trails to Azure, very, uh, uh, very excited for that, and hopefully I'll be able to get further along before I get. To, <laughs> I can. I'll be gone. Uh, won't be having too much issue with. Uh, Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, let's see, what else have I been playing? East, East, I'm uh, most of the way through Dawn of East, but I haven't had much time in the past few days. So. Uh, but yeah, most of the way through. Um, sorry, just got uh, contacted, but I need to let them know that I'm busy. No worries. Okay, uh, but yeah. So, uh, Dawn of Release, mostly done. Uh, gorgeous game, great music, highly recommended. Uh, fan translation seems quite good. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, I played the first handful of hours of Nier Automata while I was on the train. Uh, it, you know, it hasn't yet grabbed me. Uh, and I'm determining whether that's just, you know, like I'm going to finish it so I can reach a point where I can determine whether that's just because it doesn't, maybe because it's not for me, or if it's because I just haven't reached the point where it, like, gets its hooks in people. Uh, it's just, you know, it's it's just a very monotone game thus far, I guess I'd yeah. describe that. Like, the, the color palette's very muted, like, which isn't a knock on the the port is incredible. Uh, just again, much credit to Virtuous Studios. They've done, uh, frankly, 
incredible job on this, which part of you got on it, but the, you know, the color palette is muted, the characters are muted, the, and like, I get that's the point, they're robots and they're trying to pretend that they can't feel, but they obviously can because they interact in ways that make it obvious that they feel things. <laughs> like, all of that is, you know, but, like, thus far, it just, like, it still hasn't done anything for me in terms of, like, it's like, oh my god, I just got a mineral ad on Twitch, I hate Twitch. Uh, it just doesn't feel like it does anything uh, to really, like, pull you in, make you immediately care about the conflict that's occurring in as much as there is a conflict thus far occurring. Uh, like, it, it's just sort of, you know, it, it, currently it's kind of meandering, and like, that's not, like, maybe it'll, maybe it'll amount to something, maybe I'll end up falling in love, but, you know, currently I'm just sort of like, oh, this is pleasant enough, like, you know, it's it's very technically competent. Uh, there's a lot of art that is good, even if it's not really art that I like am personally drawn to. Like the 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 monotone nature of it does make sense because it's you know uh, it's it's the nature of the beast. It's how they. Uh, that rabbit just got rocked. But, yep. uh, but you know, the, the monotone nature is definitely an intentional choice. Whether it ends up being a choice I care for, it's going to be a number of other questions. But I'm making my way through it, and I, I don't hate what I think. I just don't feel strongly about it thus far. Yeah, it's really, uh, it sounds like exactly the same vibe I've gotten from it so far. <laughs> yeah, like I just got through like the ruined amusement park, which is still quite early. But it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, like, there's the, there's certainly a melancholy to that design and style that I, you know, I only care, so, like, it, it only means so much to me. It's just like, yep, that's, it's, uh, sure is uh, melancholy, yeah, sure it's sad. Uh, anyway, I uh, then popped out that and started playing Bayonetta because... I, it, like playing it just made me want to play a platinum combat system that I enjoyed more and Bayonetta was right there uh, so I finished out my last uh, wow you got rocked um, I finished out my last uh, playthrough of the Switch version of Bayonetta and then rolled right into Bayonetta 2 and I'm like halfway through that nice. I'm on like verse 8 but, yeah and that's, that's still you know an incredible game uh, so, having a great time with that. Uh, find anything else. Uh, I have like this giant stack of shit. Uh, nothing else that it looks like I got around to. But yeah. Uh, I mean, oh yeah, and my copy of. Persona 5 Royal on Switch uh, finally reached me, uh, which is nice, but I'm, I'm swearing to not even think of touching that until I'm done with uh, Trails from Zero. It's a perfect port, by the way. I, I 100% believe it, but uh, I did sort of 
stare at the box for a while because I was like, there, there is a part of me that's just uh, wrong-footed that the game even exists because, like, it feels like a game that should have come out. I'm like, not, not that uh, that there's anything wrong with playing it in 2022, but it does feel like a game that like this should have been available for the Switch in its first year. <laughs> like, yeah. it was it was a it was a perfect uh, game to play on a handheld that would allow you to, you know, pick it up and do an S-Link or part of a dungeon and then put it to sleep and not, you know, have to be glued to a console for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. So, very, very excited to just go right back into that fairly shortly uh, and get to, you know, hang out with all my anime buddies. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so, what have you been playing, Jason? Mainly the same two games as the rest of this past month. Gotcha. Uh, so, I've got um, Trinity Trigger in the Switch and the Outbound Ghost on Steam. Nice. And about uh, about a twelve to fourteen hour, or about fourteen hours played on each. Um, mm. And it's kind of interesting to compare how much each of them does with that same amount of time. Hmm. As Trinity Trigger is... Well, it's... Um, I don't have any place else on the map to go. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are a couple spaces in the, in the big map that are marked with question marks, but the actual regions of the map are... I've been to all of them at this point, and I'm assuming that there's going to be a, some sort of major plot twist in the dungeon I'm currently in because there aren't any more dungeons. That would make sense. It's just, okay, I'm at like level 65. I have had like next to no deviations from the central plot, including deviations involving the, that are the central plot. None of those. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's a very straightforward game. To the point where I really wish it had done a few other odd things at the beginning. That's fair. Uh, I just realized that uh, Star Ocean 6 comes out shortly and I don't have it in my budget and I feel so. I'll have to worry about that later. Um, but yeah, so Trinity Trigger and what else were you playing? Outbound Ghost. The Outbound Ghost. Oh yeah, Outbound Ghost, and you seem to be having a ball with that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a completely different animal from the other game. And, <laughs> I mean, not not ju not just the fact that it's a turn-based game instead of an action RPG. Hmm. Um, it's also a very much it's a much more narratively focused game. It can be it can be nice to contrast like a more narrative game with a uh, with a more actiony mechanical game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's also got a best uh, time um, system in the um, in its combat choices. So you get to boost attacks just by hitting the button at the right point. Kind of thing. I'd also like to say just a taunt wheels, but. Smoke and Joe just came in to the chat to say this isn't Destiny 2. And also to say I mean, can't I can talk switch. about my COVID booster. 
I can switch. Do you, do you want me? Do you want? Do you need? Are you no, in need of some Destiny watching, Two content? <laughs> I would rather be watching Spark Club personally. Uh, Let's see. He is, he is the one recovering from uh, the COVID booster, so if he asks for it, you should be nice. Um, um, but yeah, sounds like we're all quite fulfilled by the age of uh, Overwhelmed, I think, would be a better description. <laughs> yep. uh, I mean, thankfully, like I said, oh, probably getting he's, he's soon. So I've got, I got something in the mail. Oh, um, <laughs> I did do that. That's yeah. Destiny 2 for me. Uh, what were you saying? You got something in the mail? I got something in the mail the other day. He that did. Someone had threatened to buy, um, to send to me in the event that it ever actually came out for a particular console that I have. Good old Uncle Wheels. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, but I do have to at least uh, finish typing this impression of Trinity Trigger before I try it. <laughs> Change. Well, I hope you enjoyed it as much. Enjoy it as much as we did. <laughs> um, also, I hope the that, in case it's what you wanted, that the Japanese version has English voices because I forgot to actually look look at the language options for that ahead of time. Uh, I'm like, okay, I don't know. I'll play it either way, and possibly learn some stop, kanji then. again. <laughs> You'll get ones when it starts talking about like fucking like weird neologisms about the psyche, the world of the psyche. Oh no, it's it's oddities like uh, I played Persona Three and I found out that there was a second kanji for to listen. Because um, at some point in the past century or so, they conflated to ask and to listen into the same verb because they're homophones. Hmm. And um, so the actual kanji for to ask actually i think it was the one to ask is a high school level kanji it's just largely that's fair and it was the first time i had played a game that actually had an intentional high school level uh for reading on the symbols <laughs> i suppose that's fitting giving given the setting Yeah, uh, there's there's like a very specific point where like I assume that there's some level of like uh, kanji neologism furigana going on because they like spell uh, they in the English version they spell a normal word in an extremely strange fashion to mark it as a proper noun. They uh, may or may not do that in Japanese. Yeah, I've definitely heard of like. Uh, and, and occasionally seen examples of like a, a com kanji combination that uh, then has like furigana next to it to indicate an unusual pronunciation of spelling. <laughs> oh, just a fiat pronunciation of spelling. Yeah. Austin Mail in Full Metal Alchemist was like that. Uh, yeah, like Gundam is that. Yeah, where they'll they'll like pick uh they'll they'll pick kanji that they think are fitting and then ascribe a pronunciation to them. That matter, um, trails in the sky, orble whatevers. Yeah, orble like yeah, games I think do that a lot for like proper nouns that they've made up that are kind of used a lot. Yeah, I just I just remember many years ago on the old site we had an interview with one of the guys translating one of the trails games and gave a short paragraph of text as a challenge and the, 
the print interview. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, okay, um, turns out he actually gave the answer in the form. I didn't read it beforehand, but my post was like, okay, I have no idea what this particular sequence means, but the rest of it reads like a high school economics textbook. <laughs> That's what it actually was. Wow. Yeah, there are, there are books it's about that. a high school that. economics textbook. <laughs> there are. Trailed loves its uh, weird books. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm glad that I actually picked up on that, but... <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the kanji combination that I could not quite figure out, aside from the fact that it had something to do with energy, was horrible. Yeah. So. Which that shows up a lot. How horrible something or other had enabled or had had some sort of effect on cottage industries. Yeah, the, the, the orbital energy being both uh, clean and extremely cheap uh, would have affected a lot of different industries. Yeah. I remember the Japanese specifically said cottage industries. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a section early in, well, not early, but in uh, Trails in the Sky first chapter where you actually have to find an old uh, gas-burning motor because, like, there are... Uh, uh, there's an object you're trying to interact with that uh, does not, that causes orbital objects around it to cease to function. And so you need something that is not orbital powered. And it's like, yeah, we, we definitely have gas motors, but literally the second orbital energy became possible, everyone stopped using them because they, like, they made zero sense. <laughs> Um, let's let's hit uh, one of the questions Fireminer has that uh, they seem to have a lot of thoughts on. Question for later: The whole throwing tomato soup at Van Gogh thing makes me want to ask this. What is the most dramatic reevaluation of a game? Like Van Gogh spent his entire life being treated as an outsider. Work too solipsistic for the audience. Nowadays, everyone thinks they get Van Gogh. Or any developer that is like Van Gogh, toiling away at weird games that the wider gaming world just never seems to care that much about. Think of a few Japanese developers like Success and Inu Tomeko. I've asked about the, uh, about the military in Call of Duty. I have asked about the real Yakuza and Yakuza. What are the topics that uh, if you know too... Oh, and this is a different question. What are the topics that if you know too much, it ruins your enjoyment of video games? Uh, so we'll hit the Van Gogh one first by saying... Falcom? Uh, uh, I wouldn't even say Falcom because Falcom was always always had a fairly hardcore base in Japan and hasn't really yes, become mainstream anywhere. I would have actually said uh, from software. Yeah, from software is an easy target. Like uh, the other one, I would have said is actually uh, the early Yokotaro games, specifically Dragon Guard. People have convinced themselves that Dragon Guard was good because they have such fond thoughts about Nier and they are willing to cut it a lot of. They're willing to sit there and try to interpret it such as a, to find a way to enjoy it, which, you know, that's that's the core of reevaluating it, is to accept something on its own terms. Uh, so that's that's and one that's, of the ones I would add. And that's kind of what I did in the late 90s with Final Fantasy Legend. <laughs> Legend 2. Uh, Saga, Saga, I think, at least in the U.S., is kind of undergoing that over time. Yeah. Uh, People super. I mean, doesn't help that Saga is admittedly a very mixed bag. It's a mixed bag, and it's very, uh, it's very opaque. But at the same time, people have become much more willing to 
take it for what it is, which is again the core of reevaluation. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, FromSoft would be a good one. Uh, there are so there are some ones that I kind of hope someday will get this treatment, but I don't suspect they ever will. The works of Kenji Ino, uh, rest his soul. Uh, would be nice to see come back. Uh, uh, Smoking Joe says Vanillaware, but uh, again, those are ones that like they were niche, but I don't think they were ever unpopular among yeah. people who knew about them. Uh, which which raises the question of like you know the, to a certain extent a lot of the artists that get reevaluated after death it's it's notable that like the people who play who cared about their work when they were alive were uh, like were like or the people who evaluated their work when they were alive did not think much of it. Right. Uh, Goemon, why the West never uh, why has the West never gotten to Goemon? Uh, I mean, we barely got any of them, and also it's very much a Japanese uh, bit of folklore. Uh, why was the West never taken with? Oh, I... yeah, I think I think he's saying why was the West never taken with going on? I think a lot of it is we basically never got any of them. We got the arcade. The first arcade one is Mister Goemon, but that's a pretty unremarkable arcade game. We got the first Super Nintendo one. Uh. Where they've renamed everyone to like Kid Ying and Dr. Yang. I still hate those names. They just straight up sound racist to me. Yeah. But, uh, and then we got the N64 one, which does have a cult following. It does have a lot of people who love it. So I think it's more just wrong place at the wrong time, wrong games at the wrong time. Uh, but yeah, like, it, there are definitely uh, developers that. Uh, I think have become like, like basically where I'm drawing the line here is that like games that had uh, that were not popular but were essentially always popular with everyone who played them, like Vanillaware versus games that always had a cult following but were often as as often treated as garbage or not or just not worth caring about like a king's field or a dragon guard like as much as i don't like dragon guard there has been a serious attempt to reevaluate it as like what it's attempting Whoa. to do or like when you look at king's field the those were known and they did have a cult following but there was also like as much people who played them who did not understand what they were attempting and did not like them <laughs> uh but yeah, uh, the, those would be. Uh, I guess another one I would bring up would be uh, to bring up an individual game. Uh, th this always had a strong cult following, but it reviewed horribly, uh, or at least mediocrely at best. Uh, Killer Seven mm. is is now generally considered to be a classic, whether it's you know a perfect that, work of was gameplay. Was that a Suda Fifty One, or am I remembering? That was a Suda Fifty One game, yeah. Okay, yeah, I I think a lot of stuff that he has made would count as something. This yeah, it, yeah, it, it essentially took until like No More Heroes, which was a much more palatable game to play, for people to go back and realize that like all of the impressive things that like his earlier games were doing, and so you know you got people that were willing to push through, 
some of the more like rough gameplay sections of Killer Seven into the game that ended up being. We have to question how many people even play Killer Seven while singing its praises. Well, isn't that uh, very much like uh, any reevaluated artist though? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I loved Killer Seven from the from the first time I played it because it was so fucking weird. But uh, yeah, it is very much a game where. Uh, the, the the mark of something that has transcended any uh, original critical evaluation to become art is people want to be known to like it more than they necessarily do like it. <laughs> I got it. I'm sorry. This, yeah, yeah. The shopkeeper in this game is named Professor Backpack, and this is just incredibly hilarious. He's adorable. Yeah. Look at him. Professor Backpack. Yes, Professor Backpack. <laughs> okay. He's very much living up to his name. Uh, so, on a backpack to professor ratio, how big is the backpack? Oh, he's mostly backpack. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like three parts backpack to one part professor. Yeah. Okay, so seventy thirty split. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and Joe is trolling me by saying color seven sucks, but um. Is he? Yeah. Though? Is he trolling though? <laughs> he might be serious. <laughs> No, he might he might honestly believe it, but his choice of how to relate it is definitely trolling. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Fire Miner saying. Uh, let's see. Starts talking about Kankabancho. Personally, I suppose that when it comes to games about digital delinquency, you've got to make it very cartoonish, like Kankabancho, because anything real. Uh, Railer will remind me of all the things I've read about the relationship between teenage delinquents and the cartels in Central America and the abuse of the troubled teenage, troubled teenager industry in America. Oh, that's talking about like games that you can't take, uh, that you know too much about something, so you can't uh, take fictional portrayals seriously. Talking uh, Joe says, "Can it be both? I hate that game and I'm trolling." And yeah, that's what I assumed that you both hate the game and are trying to hurt me. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know that there's anything that I quote unquote know too much about to uh, be able to accept in like fiction in general. Just like I, I guess, uh, like there are some things that I have to set things aside for. But like in, in general, like the the only thing that would cause me to uh, have issues setting aside to accept in fiction is just going to be like when I think what the fiction is, the the themes and subtext of the fiction is fundamentally immoral. Uh, otherwise, it's it's like I, I, yeah. I remember I remember one thing that just made made me go what and it's actually a not the only thing about Ready Player One that made me th think oh, that. God. Uh, yeah, but not the part. It's the first thing that made me go, huh? Was not the thing that most people would imagine, but it was the uh, the trailer park sky um, high rises. Yeah. <laughs> like, and not. I mean, not just the fact that it was obviously a bad idea to begin with, but the fact that this was set in Oklahoma City, <laughs> where I am from. Yeah. Which I can tell you right now, Oklahoma City has the the area around there has two major things going for it. First of all, is lots of wide open space. There would be is, no reason to yep. stack trailers on each other. Exactly. And second, enough natural disasters individually to completely wipe out that trailer park area like five times over. 
I, even I mean, if you started stacking, they would all they would all be crushed. Winds, we're talking flash flooding, torrential downpours, uh, flash fires, and um, and earthquakes. Hmm. So, <laughs> like this is like the dumbest possible place to put any sort of structure like that, and expect it to even be necessary, much less as you, stable as it was possible to, to exist. Yeah. Um, Everything else up to and including the fact that the evil corporation's motives were completely dumb from a economic standpoint. Uh, yeah. I remember I mean, there that was, was a... Um, the evil corporation, their entire... The entire point is mentioned multiple times in this obvious parable of net neutrality, considering when it was written, was yeah. um, that company was in it to hyper monetize and obviously this guy has never looked into the payment models for mmorpgs hmm. like because you don't want to hyper monetize to the point where most of your customer base is gone and the ones who are capable of paying for things get lonely and bored uh, oh well whenever i think of uh Ready Player One, I think of a uh, podcast I listened to called uh, 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back, which was uh, <laughs> one of the, it was one of the Rift Tracks writers and the second host of MST3K reading through Ready Player One and being <laughs> consternated by it. Oh, and, and again, uh, sorry, just my, my last point on the evil corporation there. So, if you got control of the super MMO system that they were going for. A system that has largely supplanted the educational systems of half the countries on the planet, where the internal um, elections are seen as more important and more widely voted than the U.S. presidential election. Oh, You're not yeah. going to monetize the thing. You are going... Um, and we're talking about a world where um, debt, surf, um, debt serfdom is common enough that you can plan an invasion strategy based around it. Um, <laughs> basically, the corporation was thinking too low. You're not out there to monetize a thing. You are out there to actually, literally take over the planetary government. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is an actual scenario where take over the world is more plausible than what they were doing. <laughs> Uh, the and then Fireminer says what ruins Ready Player One for me was the sequel book in which the author showed himself clear to be one a talentless writer and two a fuck you got my libertarian yeah Klein's got that I never uh, even bothered with the second book I could tell you that it was not going to turn out well yeah oh hey Bayonetta <laughs> but yeah uh, before I forget, since it did show up in, uh, and I made a promise to a dear friend and staff member to force you to talk about it. Oh, uh, the Holy Ark? Yes, let me pull this up, what actually happened here. Uh, in episode 2, <laughs> Platy comes in and says, episode 266, we were going to talk about, the, uh, about this game, put a pin in it, don't think it... I don't think he came back for it. Can we hear why it's awesome, Shining the Holy Ark? Well, sure. So, um, Shining the Holy Ark is a 
mostly a first-person dungeon crawler, but it kind of goes away from a lot of those games do, and mostly being like we're aping on wizardry. So oftentimes it's just like, here's your one dungeon, and you spend the whole game going down to the bottom of that dungeon, yada, yada, blah, boring. Well, I say boring, but, you know, uh, like the Etrian Odyssey series do those fine. So what's different about Shining the Holy Ark is it's essentially like this is this is just like a traditional JRPG. It's just presented as a first-person dungeon crawler. So like each dungeon is just in the first person, and it does some neat things like that with that. Like when you get into a random encounter, instead of just you know, maybe it making a noise and transitioning to battle. Like the mon the monsters will re often leap out of parts of the scenery. Like you'll turn a corner and there's a bottle in there, and like a snake will pop out of the bottle. Or you'll be walking down a hallway and all of a sudden monsters will jump out from around the corner. Things like that. And there's like a haunted house dungeon too that does some cool things there. So. It does things with that first-person dungeon perspective that I don't think I've seen any game ever do again, which is sad. And at a time where, like, dungeons were kind of boring in a lot of RPGs, it was really cool. And, uh, yeah, it, there's just not really a game like that. Like, even, even like, JRPG puzzles, like, you know, moving box around or solving whatever puzzles were all in first person, and it was really cool. And there's there's just no games that do anything like that. It's sad. And you know the the story was weird and interesting, and the combat was um, you know traditional JRPG combat, just a really good version. If you played Golden Sun, it's like that. And yeah, that's that's Shining the Holy Ark. It's a weird game lost to time and lost to many people because it was on the Saturn. And also has a weird name, so I'm sure people, even people that have Saturn probably skipped it by. So It's a game I've always appreciated and I wish more people have played. And, so it's a game yeah. that uh, it's less remembered than Shining Wisdom. Which yeah. Because Shining Wisdom sucks. Yes, it does. It's garbage. But it is a game that is uh, otherwise a normal-ass video game, except for the fact that for some reason it uh, has automatic and manual transmission. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. talked about Eye of the Beholder when I said that I finished the Genesis port with the help of cheats and game FAQs. JC Servant, was very surprised with them. That even that extremely hard, or maybe the Genesis port is easier than the DOS port. I don't know much. I did not play the S Cycle box games, so I don't know much about I Leave the Older. I'm sorry to say, it's uh, not really like those old Gold Box games. It's a first-person dungeon crawler, except it's very, it's totally weird because it takes place in real time, and like there's no Super like, yeah, yeah, there's no switch to a battle or anything it's just like oh whoever's in front you can use their attacks and there'll be a cooldown and people in back have to use ranged weapons or magic uh yeah i played that snes port too fire miner um but did you like it i did i liked it a lot it it did a good job of um 
kind of creating a tense environment, especially using a lot of old school D and D rules. Like when your character is dead, they're dead. You gotta get like a resurrection scroll. It's brutal, but it was. Sometimes it won't work. Yeah, it's brutal, but it was not. I don't want to say it was extremely hard. Uh, but yeah, finding your way through that game was could be pretty cool. I like I like that game. So yeah. uh, at least mistake uh for sure I made music for that game. Whenever I think of him, I think of the Genesis. Well you gotta remember Act Racer. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I think um I the Beholder is honestly why I even played Shining the Holy Ark because that's kind of an early game that got me into that type of RPG. The first person RPG. Yeah. This does remind me that there was something I left off my list of things I played. Oh god, what's that? Uh so I was I was talking around with things that had influenced the East. And I was tracing its design lineage. So obviously it owed a debt to Tower of Draga, because almost oh. every early Japanese action RPG does. And Tower of Draga avowedly owes its uh, existence in part to wizardry, proving ground of the Mad Overlord. Uh oh. That's a very difficult game to play. It's a very difficult game to play. I I was very, I, I had had trouble. <laughs> I'm working on it, but I had trouble. So very much trouble. <laughs> Sorry, just just a trip before. Um, all comes back, back to wizardry and orc. Yep, uh, always sure does. You go back far enough, and then like further, you go further back, and it's like both of those are trying on some level to simulate D and D. And then uh, if you try to step back further, you end up in more gaming, and it gets very muddled and confusing. But yeah, uh, I, I decided to set myself back to like I will go back to wizardry. I will not go back further. But, yeah, uh, that's that's a very that's that's a lot of game to try to uh, learn how to play by playing. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so how come Shining the Holy Ark won't let you go into automatic transmission wheels? What? Shining Wisdom lets you go into automatic or manual transmission. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, Shining Wisdom. Okay, so there, there's some questions from Dumerang. Uh, oh, let's hit some of this. Is there any tra trauma too personal to the idiosyncratic to create in video games? Backs of troubled teen industry. I've seen so many interviews with uh, victims, including Paris Helton, who said that their experience being abused was so far outside the grasp of people that they found it difficult to connect to anyone. If you look at the history of psychological horror games from Silent Hill to Omori, that kind of trauma they depict are things that happen to all of us. I don't, I don't think that there's any, uh, I, I like, I, I'm in general of the argument that like there always exists a way to portray. Uh, like to, to portray something tastefully in almost any medium. And I think that games are actually uniquely good for uh, experiences uh, with trauma in part because trauma often revolves around the loss of control where, you know, 
you know, having ha having control taken away from you, and games as a medium that allow the player to consider themselves in control, but also have ultimately the game itself can and will take control. Uh, games have a are uniquely suited to being able to uh, have a uh, insight into uh, trauma as as a concept. But yeah, I think that like if you like, there are certainly I would say there are genres of games that are inappropriate for this for that. But that's going to be true of just about any medium. There will be genres that simply aren't appropriate to express certain kinds of messages. They the genre is at odds with the uh, uh, thing being portrayed. But I think that in general, the medium is perfectly capable of dealing with uh, heavy subjects in that fashion. Doing good, Wheels. Uh, yeah. Uh, to hit some of these questions that Dimarang left in the chat, which might have been for RPG cast, but we can also take them. Uh, would you call River City Ransom on NES and RPG? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, enough that they made most of the sequels and other ones RPGs officially. Yeah, like, it's it's definitely, like, an early action RPG. Uh, it's probably a good question to ask if the developers intended it to be an action RPG originally. Yeah, at the, at the time, action RPG meant a few very specific things. If you were on PC, it usually meant either something that functioned like a highlight or East or it functioned like uh, essentially Zelda 2 does as well but there's an entire like subgenre of action RPGs like that like Xanadu uh, so, yeah, so Japanese I, PC market <laughs> yeah if you told me that the developers were not actually intending to make an RPG but kind of did it anyway I would believe you yeah, 100%. It's, it's unclear, but it's clear that when they finished making it, they realized they had made an RPG, because the later ones are more explicit about it. Yep. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, do you know anybody who makes or made a ROM hack of a game, i.e. GBA Fire Emblem, Dragon Quest, F1, those sorts of things? Uh, I've occasionally had the, very, very occasionally, once or twice, had the pleasure of chatting with people who have done fan translations, but that would be about it. I mean, there's our predecessor on Q&A, Matt Demers, who did his own uh, oh, yeah. Dragon Quest game in RPG. Yeah, Dragon but I, I was drawing a distinction because that was, I don't think, officially a ROM hack of a specific game. True, it's not, he just took a, um, he just, uh, yeah, it's, it's close to a lot of things from it. Yeah. Uh, had Kunio Kun come out uh, as it come to the West as it was in the 80s and 90s, could it ever get big? Uh, maybe some of the more like beat 'em up -y ones could have. Uh, certainly, uh, like River City Ransom was popular in its way, uh, and. Uh, Trying to think of, uh, I, mean, uh, I could say it was similar to some of the side-scrolling beat 'em ups, like that were. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is that like some of the more the the heavy the more beat 'em up uh, traditionalist beat 'em up ones could probably have 
made at least some like they probably would have done better than some of the ones we got like the Russian games. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, like I, I, I think that some of the superintendent ones probably could have done okay. Uh, uh, and to to an extent, there was popularity of some of the other ones. Uh, I know that. On European computers, uh, the original Niketsu Koha Kunio-kun in its adulterated form, Renegade, had a fair degree of popularity if you were the kind of person who had a ZX Spectrum growing up. Sure. To the point where there are Europe-only sequels to Renegade. Oh. <laughs> Which is very funny. The third one involves traveling through time. It's extremely bad. It's extremely of course bad. it does. Somehow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, if, if you're talking about, like, not altering the thematics, I'm not sure, uh, like, that you're going to get much more popular than, uh, River City Ransom managed to be, just because, like, when you get, like, the consumers in the West at that time, uh, their, their taste in characters beating the shit out of each other tends to focus more on, uh, you know essentially like some sort of adult cop usually <laughs> mm -hmm. they did bring over the dodgeball games yeah the dodge oh man the the neo geo dodgeball game uh is incredible but so is the nes one they're, they're both great but the neo geo one has a has, an, has a really dumb story that's very funny if you've never experienced that uh dodgeball kunio kun on the super nintendo anyone is that was there a Super Nintendo one? I only remember the NES and the Neo Geo ones. I'm sure there were others. There's gotta be. I don't I remember the. Yeah, let's see. High School Dodgeball Club. Right here, Super Dodgeball. There is a PC Engine one, which I recall hearing about. Yeah. Famicom PC Engine. Super Dodgeball. They had NES, um, Game Boy. Um, oh, the Sharp X68000. There's a DS one. Yeah, there, there's been more recent ones. I just I'm not aware of a Super Nintendo one. So I'm not sure if Fireminer's aware of something else or was just positing the idea that one could have worked. But yeah, if you've never seen the. Yeah, I'm not seeing Super Nintendo anywhere on here. There's also there's also a Neo Geo one that's really really yeah. that's a lot of fun and has some really gorgeous sprite work. And uh, that one goes completely bonkers at the end, as I recall. Yeah, the final villain dodgeball Mao Team Four dodgeball. He wants to destroy the sport of dodgeball forever. It's the sort of thing that happens with these sports games sometimes. Yeah, I mean the the super the, the original NES uh, dodgeball, at least in the American version, which I think was heavily altered. But in the American version, you uh, fight the Soviet dodgeball team and then fight your weird mirror doppelgangers. Uh, 
But yeah, uh, and then the Neo Geo game, you fight the, the dodgeball demon lord who wants to destroy the sport dodgeball forever. <laughs> People uh, wondered where Inazuma Eleven got this stuff. Huh. Yeah, but Kunio was more charming. Uh, surprised by yeah. dodgeball and Neo Geo, the Super Nintendo has tons of them, but not the Kunio Kun, the Kunio one. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a shame. I think there could have been that, like that would have reached it had a pretty good cult classic status. I would have liked uh, Super Nintendo uh, Gambadai Dunk Heroes, which was the Kunio uh, basketball game with its absurd, like, triple-decker uh, basket rules. <laughs> that game, that game's extremely fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, um... Hit some more Doomerang's questions. If Etrian Odyssey came to Switch, would you be upset if they were released individually, or would you expect them, the games to be bundled? If I were How them, I'd be starting with a new game. Games? Yeah. How long are those games individually? Like 40 hours. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way that they're going to be bundled. Yeah. It's also just, you have to fundamentally rework them quite a bit, so yeah. I sort of like if they were if they were going to bring an older game, I would expect it to be like a top to bottom remake of Etrian Odyssey One, or I expect them to ever bundle. Yeah. I mean, they could you could port them easily to Switch. You would just have to completely remove the map and mapping aspect of them, but then and it kind of loses some of the charm. So. Yeah, you would like you need to rethink them. Yeah. Like the most the most direct port I could imagine would be a. Uh, a maybe an untold one and two compilation that maybe had like a a few different options for how to handle mapping. That would be maybe what I would expect at most for compiling these. Uh, but otherwise, I, I would not suspect that we would ever see like a bunch of these together. Uh, remember the Ban Presto Super Robot Wars dodgeball games. <sighs> Van Presto did a lot of very strange, uh, like, just, you know, we can do whatever with all these robot licenses, <laughs> and I respect them for it. Yeah, uh, I would not, just because of the amount of logistical work that would go into making every analysis work on a Switch, I would not imagine they would start with a compilation. I would yeah. imagine they would start with a new game. And whether that's a new game because they've remade an old game, or because they just said, here's a new Etrian Odyssey and subtitle. Yeah, and so, if that new game works, I can imagine them porting the old games in that format, maybe. Yeah. Like, that would be my expectation for what they would do. And, like, honestly, I, I wouldn't even be upset if they just, like, like here's an updated re-release of Etrian Odyssey Untold, or Etrian Odyssey Untold 2, or Etrian Odyssey Nexus, or whatever. Uh, because, you know, a lot of those later ones came out back to back to back. A lot of people missed a lot of them. I think the kind of person who cares about Etrian Odyssey would just be happy to see Etrian Odyssey come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, map making aside, they were the best wizardry-ish games you could possibly hope for, so... Like, there's a reason that those people didn't just immediately jump into, like, classic heroes. They were not replacement level. They were, they were well above replacement level in that wizardry space. <laughs> um, 
does a game have to have a happy ending for you to consider it to be a good ending? I know some people get upset if the ending is not happy to the point it affects their opinion of the game. I feel I'm like you happy. have to fight harder to justify it. I mean, because you need the players. Bittersweet endings can be good. Bittersweet tends to work well. When when you get to like just a tragic ending, I feel like you have to fight harder to justify it. Because Especially uh, if it's tragic as the main ending. Yeah, because like essentially because the player has to keep playing, you're essentially requiring their consent in the actions that happen every time. Like they need to agree that like I'm willing to keep going with this course of action. So when you uh, do a tragic ending, you really have to have it has to feel like it was earned. Uh, because, you know, if it, if it just is tragic out of nowhere, either the player is going to assume that there was something they could have done to prevent it uh, and be dissatisfied for that reason, or the player is going to feel like the game railroaded them into making a decision they didn't actually want to make. Uh, Fireman are quickly asking, EO3 was never remade for the 3DS. Correct, it was not remade for the 3DS. It was, they did Untold 1 and 2, and then they did Nexus, and that was all she wrote. But yeah. Uh, Wasn't interesting. I see five. Five was in there too. Yeah, five, uh, I was just talking about like because Nexus is kind of like a weird compilation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I was just bringing up games that were taking Nexus, bits from older. My copy hmm? of Nexus is still sealed because I <laughs> haven't finished the other ones. Yeah, I feel like Nexus may have at one point in its life been a, uh, an entry in Odyssey 3 remake, but just never ended up turning into that. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's what, uh, like, m my argument would be that uh, people are more ready to accept just, I've, I've accomplished what I intended to with this game, I, I am, so, like, give me the happy ending. Uh, did I mention FF? 15 in the question about endings. I think that might have been brought up. Uh, let's see if you actually said anything in response to this boomerang question. I don't see it, so it doesn't look like it. Um, that is a. Uh, oof. That's a heartbreaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy 15. Yeah, that's another one I haven't played for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. Maybe it'll be on the Super Switch. <laughs> Super Switch! Or maybe, or maybe I'll finally get a better computer that can actually play it. Also an option. By the way, hello! Oh, oh hey, Tim. Yeah, uh, to, to quickly hit this, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, in general, like, players are, if, if, if you don't have, like, a heavily built-up ending, then players are much more likely to accept a happy ending over a sad one. Because it's like, well, just went through all the trouble yeah. of finishing this. But, like, you know, you can certainly make a sad ending work. But, you know, you gotta earn it. I think, make I it think one 15 of the out of earns multiple. it. Hmm. See, I, 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 don't mind a, I don't mind a sad ending. I don't mind a sad ending. See, you have to make no matter what ending you go, whether it be a good ending or a bad ending or a sad ending or and even an angry end, you know, one that makes the players angrier. 
you know, I'm going to say the same thing about endings that I do with anime endings. You have to make mm -hmm. it satisfying. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I mean by earning it. But again, like anime, video games have the at least the illusion of player agency in there. Though, you also have to have a ending, ending that the player is going to be happy with making. That should be enough. Let's uh. get this back to the trader. And an ending that the player will be willing to like reach because once you once you see where it's going. Um, what is the I don't know how many people have argued against me. Uh, argued against that episode Ignis ending is not necessarily the better one. I have not actually uh, played the DLC. I need to go yeah, back same. and just play FF15 and all its DLC together to evaluate how the DLC ends. Or, or you can just watch uh, uh, Spare Ombres on Saturday mornings. Oh. That is an option. Personally, I just want the excuse to replay FF15. I love that game, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, we never we never saw them fully pull the trigger on the additional ending that was announced, and then the DLC for it was scrapped when Hajime Tabata left uh, Square Enix. But let's see, we we did not get the second season of DLC. But let's see. Uh, why do you think there has never been a Ninja Turtles RPG? Uh, I think that's more just a consequence of the assumption that the primary people who would be purchasing a Ninja Turtles game are relatively young children, and the assumption that they would not have the patience for an RPG. An assumption I think is actually quite wrong. But... I mean, heck, I so was playing Final Fantasy when I was, like, six. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, when the first TV series for Ninja Turtles was really popular, it made more sense to go with a side-scrolling beat-em-up, because that mm. fit the aesthetic of the show better. Yeah, but I think that, like, I do think that there is a fair question of, like, why it's never been attempted in the decades since, and the multiple mm. successful cartoons since. I think and that there... Because in later decades, it was less likely to have a TV spin-off video game series made in America. They still, they still kept doing them, is the thing, that most of those... Uh, TMNT series have at least one game to their name. Okay. Except for except for the weird one with the sister turtle that was a live action. We don't, we don't talk about that show. Yeah, we do not. Like Venus de Milo is not the problem. The next mutation is the problem. We don't we don't talk about Bruno. Well, uh... there's also um, and then going on then since I'm not aware exactly of how spinoffs are working in America these days, but. RPGs are also one of the more money-intensive games to make, <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, of course, like, in Japan, there's an entire cottage industry of, uh, like, low-quality RPGs that uh, go along with most shonen properties, uh, but mm -hmm. America that's, uh, that's, that. there's an entire, like, gristle of industry that just does those, so. <laughs> and they're almost never exported, even when the property is successful. See, also, like, the dozen or so Dragon Ball RPGs of essentially one of which was ever exported. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure if if Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles became super popular in Japan again, it would probably <laughs> would try to do an RPG based on it. That would be it fun was... though. I think that I think that you've got an entire ready-made party anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Closest they've come is that Metroidvania Ninja Turtles that I really love. Yeah, that one's very good. Yeah. 
That's not quite an RPG. Hopefully someday. Hopefully. Ninja Turtles. See, I, I still think that analogy is wrong, only because I was playing Final Fantasy. Wow! <laughs> you know, Ninja Turtles was popular because I they both came out around the same time for me. However, you were not on the marketing team. Is this true, it's also, it's also I was also six years old! Exactly, the marketing team was not made of six-year-olds and probably did not have small children. Um, the other, the other thing I would bring up, uh, the other thing I would bring up in when thinking about that is that uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon that sprung into popularity was from, started in like 1987. And RPGs were not a going concern in, uh, on consoles where children were expected to be playing until like the early 90s. So, and that by that point, that series had peaked and was on the downturn in terms of its popularity for its first wave. Yeah. Final Fantasy 1 released on the NES in 1989. Very late 1989, almost 1990, I think. True, because my mom had gotten it as a birthday gift. And then <laughs> the very next day, my sister started the game up and erased her save. Oh, Because it only allowed for one... Well, understand, we had Dragon Warrior, which allowed for three saves. Mm -hmm. Oops. Uh, also, it looks like North American Final Fantasy 1 was actually July of 1990. Okay. But, uh, yeah. It yeah. was still a birthday but, gift for my mom. I remember that very vividly. Oh, I believe that. It's just one of those things where it's like, it must have been later on. <laughs> but, yeah. But again, still the point being that any any major company's marketing division is going to be some of the most conservative choices possible, and uh, Nintendo they immediately went would to... not have been a medium that they considered worth the effort of getting into at that point because they had no idea where it was going to be going. Yeah, they 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 gave the license to Konami, a Japanese company who made a Japanese game, uh, like you know who made a Ninja Turtles game that they released in Japan, even though Ninja Turtles had not been released in Japan. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just why that version has a different name than all the other ones. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what the I can't remember what the uh, franchise name is in Japan at this stage, but I do it's know that Mutant Turtles. Yeah, in Japan, the first Ninja Turtles game because there was an official Japanese designation for the brand. It's called Gekikami Ninja Den. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh... That's, uh, that was that was Konami's uh, initial bite at the apple before they made the arcade game. And I know a lot of people who sunk a lot of quarters into that arcade game. It was very popular. Mm -hmm. It caused Konami to get deep into the, like, let's license Western IPs and make them into uh, beat-em-ups and platformers, which is where we get things like Bucky O'Hare and The Simpsons. <laughs> That Simpsons beat em up is very pretty and has a lot of very uh, why is this here life and uh, life and hell references. But, uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that hits all of Doomerang's questions. Um, 
Yeah, it looks like that's all of our questions in the podcast section. Uh, I have now been on some form of podcast for like four hours. So uh, we were, me and Wheels were on backtrack before this. Uh, uh, what was being backtracked? Who can say? Demon Souls. No. That was the last Dark backtrack. Yeah. That was the last backtrack. I thought it was two different backtracks that were all Demon Souls and Dark Souls. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you spoiled I... it. Who can say? A war were declared. War were declared. But yeah, so I'm probably personally uh, about ready for us to shut down. But that's all the same as everyone else. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Me tired. Gaijin, tell me where I can read about princesses. Oh, okay. Hmm, let's see here. Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on mm. Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, written by... Uh, me under the name Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, because Google sucks. Um, <laughs> so if you enjoy tabletop RPGs, if you enjoy listening about other people playing tabletop RPGs, if you like to live vicariously through other people's bad dice rolls and poor personal decisions, and if, again, if you don't mind all this being in the third person because, you know, active play po podcasts are a thing... This is just basically that in print format. So if that, any of this sounds interesting, that's Princesses of the Pizza Parlor for Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Thank you. Yeah. Where else? Uh, you can catch us uh, on Sunday nights for Sunday Night Shenanigans. Uh, we were off last week while you were away. Previous two weeks we've done, Joe and I have played Overwatch 2. Gross. Uh, quite you uh not sure what we're going to be playing this weekend but yes that's our normal sunday night stream you can catch us wednesday nights if you're listening to this and the, the as a podcast you can catch this show live wednesday nights on twitch.tv slash ask wheels and i've also been doing some adventurous platforming still have to find time to finish uh klonoa and then it'll be on to some pac-mans that's it. I've got Pac-Man fever. Okay. I was going, because I play Pac-Man. Oh, I play Pac-Man. <laughs> hey, that's some quality Weird Al right there. So, uh, maybe, not, maybe not from Gaijin, but it is quality Weird Al. <laughs> Harsh. Yeah. Tell us, tell us where we can find you, Tal. Uh, actually, you go ahead first, because... Um, I'm going to go into the some other stuff tonight. Uh, real uh, tonight. Okay. Uh, I I would plug things that I've written before, but I'm actually in the middle of like a weirder, more ambitious, much stupider off the cuff project. <laughs> if it ends up happening, I'll plug it if it does. <laughs> okay. I know what this is. Well, good luck with know it. what this is. Yes. It's very stupid. So um. Uh, you can so you can catch me though on uh, twitch.tv slash rpgamer uh, two days a week Tuesdays and Thursday morning along with a whole host of other people uh, where we're streaming really just about anything off the anything that we can get away with because we have so many different streamers now um, <laughs> I mean we do I mean we have 
uh, we have one streamer who's doing um, Valkyrie Valkyria Chronicles 4, and he's going to be doing Star Ocean 6. I'm currently doing Tales of Eternia. Who knows what JC Servant will play on any given night? Uh, Woodhouse is doing the Banner Saga until Tactic Ogre Reborn releases. Scar is doing his SNES wheel down to 19 RPGs on it. That's getting um, terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's he's trying to whittle it down so he can move on to place, move it over to his PlayStation system because he can do both SNES and PlayStation on it. Of course. Yes. And then, um, and then, so you know, um, we have a guest streamer, uh, Spare Ombre, who, as I mentioned, was doing FF15. But the big thing is, um, next week, next weekend is extra life and so oh, right. uh we oh, yeah. are going all weekend streaming um on the channel uh starting at 4 p.m eastern time with uh pause kicking it off and we're basically going until i fall asleep on sunday night because <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah i'm i'm the i'm um part of the overnight for both for technically both nights yeah and i Don't will die. be on that on saturday night uh and... technically technically sunday morning you yeah. have the midnight to 2 a.m shift yeah. eastern time i will probably be doing a destiny 2 ra raid raid uh, do, do whatever I, you want. If you want to do yeah. beat 'em ups, do your beat 'em ups. We don't. You know, it's extra life. Do whatever. No, it's gonna be Destiny 2 raid because I don't think anyone else is gonna be on with me. So I want to do something. Ah. I mean, I, I could, I could make fun of you. Yeah, but I have to be on the game chat. <laughs> I won't even oh, be able to yeah. listen to you. Only if you're playing Destiny do you gotta be on the game chat. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see I'm... if I change my mind, but that's my tentative plan. For my slot. Yeah, and, th and then I and I'll be hot swapping into you for the overnight um, for uh, three-ish to four hours, depending on daylight savings, <laughs> because uh, yeah, I, I'm the overnight. Luckily, I'm, I'm splitting that with Woodhouse this year, so it's not going to be me for five hours losing track of time. Nice, could be though. Consider. So, but yeah, so um, extra life is next week. Uh, you can catch it on our news feed, which is uh, rpgamer.com slash 2022 slash 10 slash extra hyphen life hyphen 2022. I do not make the I do not make the links. <laughs> um, and we have a number of people doing donations. Uh, mine is actually going to the local trauma one hospital. Um, uh, for the children's care there, and I can out personally that they do a lot of good work and the uh, pediatrics department really cares about their kids mm -hmm. good cause uh, yeah uh, and if you would like to uh, well, well before we close out I wanted to thank uh, dear friends uh, Fireminer and Doomerang for the questions yes, uh, Smoke and Joe for the trolling <laughs> uh, Thank you, thank you, uh, thank you all. It means a lot. Uh, I'd also like to. Oh yeah, Smoking Joe wasn't here, but usually he is here. So give his give his Twitch uh, a look if you got the chance. It's at uh, Smoking Joe Gamer. There's no more weird numbers in that. Just all the name, all the letters, are, all the letters that you expect to be capitalized are capitalized when you hear that name. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, give him a give him a look. He, he's usually on here as a good guy. But uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to contribute questions, like your friends Bionner and Zoomerang, you can uh, put them in the chat if you catch us while we're streaming, which usually happens Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, if you don't feel like uh, trying to catch the mad whims of our schedule, you can also check with... Uh, you can also ask questions in the comments section under this... Oh, damn it, I just realized that we actually had a question from uh, Crawl that we will have to defer to next week, but it was on episode 278. Don't let me forget it next time. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. Um, apologies to Crawl. We'll get to you. Um, but yeah, uh, you can ask us questions under the comments section. We usually remember to do those. I even saw it and remembered that I was going to check it and then completely forgot because I'm very tired. Uh, but you can ask us questions in the comments section of this very episode on RP Gamer, or you can go to the RP Gamer Discord and you can get two by going to the community tab on RP Gamer and clicking the invite link. It's a lovely community whether you want to ask us questions in the podcast section or not. Uh, so I spout off about anime all the time. Sometimes I get tagged in when you get when you aren't sure about something. <laughs> yep. But yeah, uh, so you know. Mostly uh, because a... your mind for it is a little more on point than mine for some of the older stuff. I, I am an obsessive of weird seventies anime and also extremely stupid in all other ways. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's uh. Those are your ways of sending us questions. We always love to hear from hear them. So if you've got any, you know, give us give us a uh, send it along. But otherwise, I need sleep. So see you, space cowboys. See ya. Yeah. Not